0: Amen. Thank you, Haley, Rachel. I was noticing the words of that song. I hope you noticed them too. Uh, addressing the Holy Spirit, whom we have been talking about all summer as we go through this series on the Holy Spirit and what the Bible teaches about Him. But I also noticed in the song numerous times the idea that, as the song asks the Spirit to be working, it said that Christ might be known, and that there might be salvation through him alone, which goes perfectly with the overall theme of our series, which is the Holy Spirit sent to glorify Jesus, that his primary purpose is to make Jesus known. And so that song reminds us of that theme. And then I noticed that in the song there's this invitation for the Holy Spirit to work through the Word, to work through the Word, to speak through the Word. And that happens to be what we're going to talk about today. So Haley, A+. On uh, choosing that song, you covered every base, and uh prepares us well. I'd like you to take your Bibles, your study sheets. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and the Word. So it would be good if you're holding your copy of the Word as we talk about it. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity we have again to... Uh, Learn together to think about your Holy Spirit, whom you have sent to indwell your people. Thank you for all that you've taught us about him and what he is doing in our lives and desires to do as we submit to him and follow him. Father, once again, would you teach us about your Holy Spirit and his connection With your holy scriptures. In Jesus name, amen. Those of you who use the daily bread devotional on a daily basis, you probably read earlier this week a story about Billy Graham. Anybody remember that? Story about Billy Graham. When Billy Graham was a young man in the 40s, he had a friend who was an agnostic. And this friend used to keep challenging Billy Graham. He would talk to him often about the Scriptures and how you can't trust the Scriptures. And he would question the truth of Scriptures. He would questioned the credibility of, of Scriptures. And he just kept coming at it with his friend, Billy Graham. And it got to the point where Graham was beginning to sense doubts about Scripture rising up in his own heart and mind. This friend was influencing him. And one night, when he was in California, Graham could not sleep. He was struggling in his mind about the scripture. And all these challenges and questions he was being bombarded with by his friend. So he got up and he went for a walk in the mountains that were nearby there where he was staying. It was a retreat center. He took his Bible and he walked up the mountain thinking about what he was going to do with these doubts and these questions that had been planted in his mind. And the story goes on to say that as he's walking, he comes to a stump on the mountain. And Graham says that when he saw the stump, he laid his Bible On that stump. And he got down on his knees. And this is what he prayed. He said, oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. But Father, tonight I am going to accept this as your word. faith, And the story goes on to say when he stood up, he still had questions. But he says, I knew at that moment that the spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and won. And if you heard any sermons by Billy Graham through the years you know that a phrase he used multiple times in every sermon was what? The Bible says. Remember that? The Bible says. Later on, he was quoted as saying this. When we preach or teach the Scriptures... We open the door for the Holy Spirit to do His work. God has not promised to bless great oratory or clever preaching. He has promised to bless His Word. And we are all familiar with the view Billy Graham had of the Word of God. It was a result of that particular night on his knees, by a stump in the California mountains. Another man whose view of the Scriptures is very clear to us is the psalmist. In Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm, it's all about the Word of God. We find many statements by the psalmist that gives us his view of scripture, of God's word. And you have some of those statements he makes on your sheet. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, the word of God is true. It is a counselor. It is trustworthy. It is thoroughly tested. It is forever right. It is eternal. It stands firm. It is boundless. It is a lamp and a light. It is righteous. It is sweeter than honey. That was the psalmist's view of the Word of God. Now, we've been studying about the Holy Spirit. So the question for today is, what is the connection between the holy spirit and the word of god is there a connection well yes there is there's a very major connection between the holy spirit and the word of god and so i want to show you that in the next few minutes this major important connection between the holy spirit and god's word i'm going to use Three words to show that connection. First is inspiration. The second word is illumination. And the third word is interference. So let's start with inspiration, the first connection between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Turn with me to Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Starting in verse 15, the Apostle Paul is uh, addressing this to a young pastor named Timothy. In verse 15, he says, From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. So that's the subject here, the Holy Scriptures. From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Through faith in Christ Jesus, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says to Timothy, all scripture, all of the holy scriptures. You need to circle the word all. All scripture is God Breathe. Some of you might have a Bible that says, inspired by God, which is what God breathe means. Inspired here by God means God breathed. On your sheet, so that I don't have to spell it and try to pronounce it intelligently, are two Greek words. The first one is the one that appears here in this verse. And you'll notice that the first part of the Greek word, thea, would be from the term theos, God. And the second part of the word, neustos, is a form of the word pneuma, which means breath or to breathe. And so... Some of our Bibles translate it, God breathe" or inspired by God. There's another meaning for the word pneuma. It means breath. The verb would be breathe, which is used here. It also can mean wind, kind of like breath. But you know what else the word pneuma means? Spirit. And so whenever we see Holy Spirit, it's holy pneuma. Holy breath. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is the holy breath of God, going by the terms that are used. And this verse has Paul saying to Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed, God-spirited. I suggest to you that Paul is linking the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, with the Scripture and its origin, its source, inspired by God, breathed out by God, by His Spirit. Now there's inspiration, and there's inspiration. <clears throat> OK? Now we use the idea of being inspired often. Now, we use it <clears throat> when uh, someone is um, kind of moved emotionally, uh, influenced in a way where they come up with this thought or this idea. you know they're inspired. And it leads them to action. And so they write a song. Or they write a poem. Or they write a book. Or a story. Or they go do something and get involved in something. And one of the explanations is, I was inspired to do it. It simply means they were influenced. There were certain thoughts and ideas that were aroused in them and they took action because they were inspired. That is not the inspiration that's talked about here. This inspiration is the divine breathing of God. It is the divine supernatural work of God in moving human authors to write down God's very thoughts. God's very truth. It's different from how we use the word inspired. And I think the Holy Spirit's involved there. In fact, I know, because I know what 2 Peter says. Turn with me to 2 Peter, chapter 1. (coughs) 2 Peter, chapter 1. (coughs) 1. I think if we put these two Scriptures together, we see the major connection between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. In 2 Peter one twenty, Peter says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, so he's talking about Scripture, writings, grapha, that's what the word is, so writings, So he says, you must understand that no prophecy, no message of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy, the message, never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God. They got the message from God as they were carried along. You see that? as they were carried along or moved by who? The Holy Spirit. The breath of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. God-spirited. There were men that were carried along I can't explain it. I bet they couldn't either. But they were carried along in a special way by God's Spirit to pen the very thoughts of God, the message of God, the Holy Scriptures. And so... Just by looking at those two verses, we see there is a major connection between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Holy Spirit was majorly involved in the giving of the written message. He's the one who carried those men along, moved them to write the message, the words, the thoughts of God. Second connection between the Holy Spirit and the Word. We can call illumination. It's a big word. Illumination. To illuminate means to what? To reveal something. To shine a light on something. To turn the light on. To illuminate. The figurative meaning of illumination is to turn a light on in your mind. We use that term, don't we? You know, I was reading this or I was hearing this and it's like the light turned on. What do we mean? I got it. Now I understand. I see. That's illumination. It's giving the understanding. And in our context, it's the giving the understanding of divine truth, God's truth, his word. Turn with me to John, chapter 16. We've been in this passage quite a bit this summer, where Jesus makes the promise to send the Holy Spirit and talks about the different ministries or roles that the Holy Spirit has in the life of God's people. But chapter 16, something Jesus says there. Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Notice the link between the Holy Spirit and truth. He is referred to by Jesus as the Spirit of truth. He's all about truth. Of course he is. He's God. So he's called the Spirit of truth. But Jesus says also, He will come and He will guide you into truth. He's the Spirit of truth, and when He comes, He's going to guide you into truth. He's going to point you toward truth. And what is the truth? Chapter 17, we have the record of a prayer of Jesus, and He's praying for His disciples. And he says in verse 17, 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says God's word is truth. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he came to guide us into truth. So how does he guide us into truth? He takes us to the truth, God's word. And illuminates us, helps us learn it and understand it. First Corinthians 2, I think, talks about that. First Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians 2, starting in verse 9. Paul says, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. Well, God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. God reveals things to us by his Spirit. We go on. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Right now, you're the only person in this room who knows what the thoughts are going on in your mind right now. You believe that? You are the only person in this room right now who knows what the thoughts are that are in your mind right now. And Paul says, just like that, the Spirit of God is the only one who knows the thoughts of God. He knows the thoughts of God. So he says, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And then he says, we've received that Spirit. That Spirit lives in us. We've talked about that this summer. Verse 12, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God, knows the truth of God. And that Spirit has been given to us that He might illuminate for us the thoughts of God because He knows them. He is the one that is able to help us what? What does Paul say? Understand the things of God. That's illumination. The Spirit in us helps us understand the things of God. And that's a benefit of only those who know Jesus, who have obtained salvation. Because he goes on in verse 14, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. If you're not a believer, you don't have the Spirit of God, the message of God is pretty much foolishness. It's just a bunch of words that don't make sense. And you cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. You need help. And what's the help? It's the help that's given to the people of God, God's Spirit living in us. He is the one who helps us learn and understand. He turns the light on and illuminates God's message to us so that we can understand it. I mean, how many of us can relate to that? Especially if you're a person who came to Christ as an adult or even a teenager maybe. And you remember a time prior to that, when even if you tried, it was hard to figure this out. You you would read things, didn't make sense to you at all, right? Strange, weird, foolish. And then you would go into a setting where there were Christians, and they would open up to the same passage, and they were seeing all these things, And they were excited about it, and it's like, where did they get that? And then the day came when, like we talked a few weeks ago, the Spirit of God convinced you of your sin and that the wages of your sin was judgment, but that there was righteousness and salvation through Jesus. And you responded. You repented of your sins. You trusted Jesus for salvation. And then as you started getting into the Word, and sitting under teaching, all of a sudden the same scriptures that months before were foolishness to you, you couldn't figure out, all of a sudden, click, it's it's like the light turned on. And you were starting to get it and see it. Now, not perfectly, because I still don't understand it all perfectly. But you know what I mean, right? There was something different. What was it? It was the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit who was given to you in your life after you trusted Christ for salvation. And he is now there to illuminate the message of God, to help us understand the thoughts of God. Paul ends this chapter by saying, and we have the mind of Christ. All that means is we have the ability to find out and understand what Jesus is thinking. I don't have Christ's mind. He has his mind. But because the Spirit is in my life, he illuminates the thoughts of Jesus, the mind of Christ, so that I can learn and understand the message, the truth. It's called illumination, and that really connects the Holy Spirit with the Word of God, doesn't it? He inspired it. He moved the authors in a very supernatural way to write the message of God. Now he illuminates it for his people, helps them learn it and understand, but there's a third connection between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And there could be a better word, but I needed an I word, so it's interference. Interference. And, uh, I looked it up, it fits. The word, the word interfere means this. To get in the way, to oppose, to clash with, To conflict against. Those are the meanings of interfere. Turn with me to Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is the passage where Paul begins to talk about the spiritual battle. The devil's schemes. In verse 12 he says our battle isn't against flesh and blood, human beings. It's against the devil and all these forces he has at his disposal in heavenly places. Evil, wicked forces. The, the spiritual warfare. The spiritual battle. And as you know, he goes on then to talk about how we can stand against the attacks of Satan. Because God has given us this armor and he describes the armor, the different things that help A stand against Satan's attacks. We get toward the end of the passage, and in verse 17, the Holy Spirit comes into the teaching. And he says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So he brings the Holy Spirit now into this battle with the devil and his attacks. And he says, take the sword of the Spirit. And what is the sword of the Spirit? He tells us, which is the Word of God. So it's clear that Paul here is linking the Holy Spirit again with the Word of God. And he's saying that this is the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit of God uses The word of God to help us oppose the attacks of the devil. To help us stand against those attacks. To help us fight those attacks. It's called the sword of the spirit. He's connected. You could say he runs interference. He takes the word that he inspired and breathed into the human authors. He takes the word that he illuminates and helps us understand. And he helps us use the word as interference against the attacks of the devil. The Spirit of God helps us use the Word of God to run interference against the attacks of the devil. The Spirit is involved in the battle against Satan, and he uses the Word. It's his sword that he has given to us and illuminates for us so that we can use as he helps us stand against the enemy. Wow. Is the Holy Spirit connected with the Word of God? Very much so. Through inspiration. He gave it to us. He breathed it out. He carried along the men in a supernatural way to write God's message. And now, in the lives of those who have come to salvation, he is illuminating the word he gave us, helping us understand the thoughts of God, the mind of God, to learn his truth and get it so we can live it. And as we live it and the enemy attacks us, It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that interferes, helps us interfere and oppose those attacks. The Holy Spirit and the Word. At the beginning of the message we learned about Billy Graham's view of the Word of God and a turning point in his life in his view of the Word of God. At the beginning, we learned about the psalmist's view of the Word of God from Psalm 119. Now at the bottom of your study sheet, there's a place for you to make a list. By completing this statement, to me, the word of God is. What would your list look like in comparison to the psalmist that's at the top of the sheet? What are the words and phrases that you would use to complete that statement? What would be on your list? To me, the word of God is. I encourage you to make that list, to actually write it down at some point. And then I'm going to challenge you about that list you will make. Because I'm going to predict most of you will put down a really good list. And the words and phrases you will use are right on target as you express your view of the Lord. But if you were to show me that list and I read through it, my immediate immediate response would probably be, honestly, this is your view of God's Word. Why would I ask that question? Because almost every Christian can write a good list as to what their view of the Word of God should be. Very few Christians are living that view that they say they have of the Word of God. Am I exaggerating? I don't think so. We know the right view. It's the view Billy Graham had of Scripture. It's the view the psalmist had. We know the right view to have concerning the Word of God. The problem is we have a difficulty taking it from the page where we write the list concerning our view and making that view a part of how we live and the role that the Word of God plays in our day-to-day life. We make the right list on our paper, but the Word of God sits on a table or a shelf all week long till Sunday comes. We put the right words and phrases on our list of our view of God. But a week and two and three can go by and we're never talking about the Word of God. We never say anything about it to anyone. We put the right words down on a list. This is my view of the Word of God. And it's been years since we've sat down with a group of believers and studied what we claim to have such a great view of. And I can go on and on. I could go into obeying what this says and how we live and how we can put the right words and phrases down. This is my view of Scripture. And yet, when people look at our lives, they can even clearly see there are things here that we're not living What's going on? I think what's going on is that there are a lot of us who need to have a Billy Graham stump moment in our life. Now, maybe it's not up on the Embarrassed Mountains and an actual stump that you put your Bible on. And you actually get on your knees. Maybe it's going to take that. But there could be many of us. Who need that Billy Graham. Stump. Moment in our lives. Where we finally. Put some action to. And surrender to. The word of God. So that it becomes. What directs. And controls our life. Because if it is directing and controlling our life. Guess what? The Spirit of God is directing and controlling our life. Because He gave it, He illuminates it, and He uses it to help us stand against the enemy. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, like Billy Graham, there are many things that we still don't understand about it. Uh, There are things that we still can't comprehend. There's this divine, supernatural element to it that uh, it's hard for us to put our minds around it. Father, we admit that. But Father, by faith, help us to determine that it is Your Word, that it is true, that it is all from You, and that it is in our best interests to follow it, to obey it, to live it, to speak it, to let it, as the Spirit uses it and illuminates it, to change our lives. For your glory, that Christ be glorified. Amen.